0: I just want to um, give a, a little bit of a personal testimony this morning, if I can. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Leon, one of the leaders here at the church. And my wife and I, the wife of my youth, we've just come back from Kefalonia in Greece for a week. And I don't want to make you, uh, you know, jealous or anything like that, but we did not see a cloud in the sky for seven days. The temperature ranged from 35 to 43 degrees Now, as a communicator, what I've done just there is I've completely broken any relationship I've got with my audience because I could feel it just go down and you all just sat there thinking, flipping heck, look at him. But actually, the reason I want to tell you that is not to boast or anything like that, but actually to say that our holiday is a testimony to God's faithfulness. Um, In September of 2009, many of you know that our youngest son, Simeon, um, has got severe learning difficulties and disabilities in lots of different ways. And uh, in September, around about September 2009, he entered into a six month period where His hormones kicked in and and we totally struggled over that six month period. So much so that in the February of 2010, we had to ask the social services to help us because we couldn't cope any longer. And long story short, on the 6th of February 2010, he went into residential care where he's been for the last two and a half years. And the place that he's gone to, in our opinion, is the providence of God. It's the provision of God. And we've been so grateful for God's faithfulness. A month ago, Simeon was 18, which meant that he had to move out of where he was and go into a new place. And so this has been a very traumatic time for us as a family and uh, preparing him for that. And it should have happened in April. And in April, when we knew that he was going to go to this new place, we booked a holiday in July, thinking that's far enough away from April for it to be okay. Unfortunately, he couldn't go in April. He went on June the 20th, which was three weeks before we went on holiday. I'm here to tell you this morning that we serve a faithful God, because we had our monthly review uh, with, uh, uh, with the people that care for Simeon, so he's been in his new accommodation for a month, and he's doing amazingly well, and we are so grateful to God for that, and also we're grateful for you, because I know that many of you in this church pray for us, and you pray for Simeon a lot. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't see that and you don't feel that. But when you take a review, when you take a check, when you have a little look, you look back over your shoulder, you look in the rearview mirror, and you see that not only has God been faithful, but the church has been praying as well. And so we just want to thank you for that. So we could go on holiday and have a great time, even though it was difficult, thinking that Simeon had only just moved, but Simeon has done so well in his transition that we just want to say thank you to you for praying. And we also want to say thank you to God for being such a faithful God. Amen. 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 That's nice, thank you. Thanks. Um, how many of you are loving the fact that sport is all around the place at the moment? How many of you are loving that? Okay, that's three men and a couple of women. There we go, great. Well, it is a sporting season, no doubt about it. Murray was close at Wimbledon. England were awful at Euro 2012. The cyclists are good, aren't we? We can look forward to the Olympics and our massive haul of three cycling medals. And that will be about us, I think. But the Tour de France this afternoon, that's very, very exciting. And the Olympics starting on Friday. So we're a sporting mad nation. And I know that not all of you are British, so please uh, forgive this indulgence. For those of you that are British, who can tell me from a sporting illustration the significance of that year? Come on. The year that what? That's not the significance, sporting-wise. That's the year I was born. So from a sporting point of view, that makes that year really significant. Because the athlete you see before you, okay, was born in 1966. Now, how many of you can tell me what these numbers might equate to? When I'm going to die, (laughs) correct. Correct. I can prophesy that that will be the century, but I don't know the date. Now, many of you know this illustration. It's an old illustration, but I want to use it to illustrate something as it happens. Um, On a tombstone, you would probably have the date where you would have the date you were born, the date you'd die, and then this dash in the middle. And the the old illustration goes like this, that actually we don't have any influence at all over the day we were born, and we have very little influence over the day we die. The only thing we really have influence over is the dash in between, is how we're going to live our life. And the old sermon illustration says the challenge is so, how are you going to live your dash? Because believe it or not, and some of you younger people here this morning, you think, oh, this guy speaking, he's so old, all right? And I am compared to you. But can I tell you that if you live for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's all tiny in the light of eternity isn't it it's a tiny little dash sorry to disappoint you it's a tiny little dash in the light of eternity but it's the only thing we have any influence over we can't influence that date we don't really influence that date what we do is we can really influence how we live our one and only life um just to show you how sad I am, I was reading a magazine recently and there was a really interesting, I thought, really interesting article in it written by a palliative care nurse. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? And she wrote about this that palliative care nurse, that's the nurse that looks after people when they're dying. She said, Of all the people I looked after, and as they talked to me in their last days, there were five key themes that came out of people's lives that when they looked back over their life, they knew they were dying, they knew this date was coming close, these were the regrets they had, how they wished they'd put these things into their dash. Number one was this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She says there wasn't a man that she nursed who didn't say that. Now, women work hard as well, but it seems that men talk about that a lot And nearly all of them said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Isn't that an interesting one? I wish I'd let myself be happier. So these are people that towards the end of their lives, look back on their dash and they said, I wish I'd have done that differently. You know, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who live their life, and there are those who arrange to live their life. There are those who spend their whole time planning about how they're going to live their life. And there are others who actually get on and live their life. The only life that God has given us. Now my personality type and the way God has wired me means I'm in danger of drifting into that first category. Because I'm can often i thinking about the future and I'm thinking about what could be and what might be and what should be. And Alison's great for me just to say, just enjoy the moment. So we we're in Greece and says, There's trees, look at the trees and I'm like, What? There's trees so you know there's the beach, there's there's this, there's that. Just look enjoy the moment. It's really important because otherwise you can spend your dash arranging to live your life and actually never live it. And when we look at David, he was a man who lived his dash really, really well. He lived his life amazingly. And over this series that we've been in, and if you're new to us this morning, this is the last in the series of six weeks. You can get the the talks uh, via the website, on podcast, or you can order the CDs if you want to. But through the weeks, we've been doing a couple of things. We've been looking at King David in the Bible, and we've also been looking at a few Davids in our church and we've interviewed them and we've asked them the question, what do you want to be known for? How do you want to live your dash? And just as a, as a recap, if you like, just take a look at the screens and here's just the best of our own Davids over the last few weeks. My name is David Ian Hartley. I'm Dave Hayward. Hi, I'm Dave Austin. I'm Dave Walters. Hi, I'm Dave Jones. Person personal character. A good father, good husband. But don't ask the children, because they'll probably tell you a different story. Though I will find always time to listen to what other people think. So if I really want to be remembered for anything, I hope it's this, that he made the time to listen. I'd like to be known as, as an authentic person. What you see is what, what you get and that, that I live the way uh, God created me to be. Um, out of that, I'd like to be um, a good husband, good father, trusted friend and um, considerate and caring, and equitable to everyone else just to be a man of a man of my word and being honest and trustworthy hopefully that'll set an example to people and they want to know why and it's because of you know Jesus is in my life for someone who uh, is the same on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and Saturday as he is on Sunday uh, and I think it's important that uh, when we say we have a faith which means something, it actually means something every day of the week, when we're at work, when we're enjoying ourselves, when we're at home with the family, it matters. Fantastic. Thank you to all our Davids for taking part in that. But you know what? The key question this morning isn't what those Davids were known for or want to be known for, and it isn't really what King David was known for. The key question this morning at the end of our series is what do you want to be known for? How do you want to live your one and only life, your dash? How are you going to live that? And. Um, You know, there's there's an incredible couple of verses in the book of Acts chapter 13 where Paul speaks about David, King David. And and he just, if you like, summarizes the whole of David's dash. And, And this is what he says in Acts chapter 13. It says in verse 22, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Then in verse 36, he says this. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. So you could summarize that, is that Paul says that this is how David lived his dash. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who did everything God wanted him to do. And he was a man who served God's purpose in his own generation. How many of you would like that on your tombstone? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? To be a man or a woman after God's own heart, who did everything God wanted you to do, who served God's purpose in your generation and then you fell asleep. In other words, then you died. And I want to say to you this morning, we are created for purpose. Do you know that? We are meant as, to be men and women of purpose. And if you remember The Purpose Driven Life, which was a book that Rick Warren wrote years and years ago now, He talks about that. He says that everyone, we're driven by all kinds of things. People are driven by guilt or by fear or by resentment or by money or by anger or by sex or by pride or by power. But when you're driven by purpose, your whole life is different. And Rick Warren says it like this. He says, when you're driven by purpose, it gives meaning to your life. It simplifies your life. It focuses your life. It motivates your life. And it prepares you for eternity. And one day, every single one of us will stand before God... And at that day, wouldn't it be great when God said, what did you do with your one and only life? Wouldn't it be great if you said, well, you tell me, God, you know. Wouldn't it be great if God said, well, actually, what you did was you were a man after my own heart. You did everything I wanted you to do and you served God's purpose in your own generation. Wouldn't that be amazing? I would love God to say something similar to that to me when, when, when I stand before God in eternity. And our final memory verse in this series is going to come up on the screens now. And this is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. In other translations it says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'd love us to say this together, okay, just so that we're speaking Scripture out together. So can we try that? Speak it out together. Here we go. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're created for purpose, and our purpose is to have a heart after God, to do all that God wants us to do, and to serve God's purpose in our generation. So I want to make three statements this morning that are quite challenging, and then call you to respond at the end to God in worship. The end of this series saying, yes, God, I want to be a man or a woman after your own heart. I want to be someone that serves your purpose in my generation. And the first statement is this, life is too short to play it safe. It really is. And I'm realising as I'm getting older now and at that kind of scary midlife kind of age, you know, when everything's like, do I buy a motorbike? Do I get a tattoo? Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, all that kind. It's all happening, guys. It's all happening, okay? It's scary thoughts that happen at our age. I'm realising that life is so short and it's too short to play it safe. Do you know what are the most dangerous household objects? I've done a little bit of research for this this morning Every year there are 6,000 on average injuries caused by trousers in the house. A 29-year-old woman burned her leg while ironing trousers. She was wearing them at the time. There's a clue there. There's a clue. The hospital visits okay, caused by sock incidents have risen by 1,000 every year. There are 350 on average people who are injured in the home by clothes basket incidents, 146 by bread bins, and 329 by toilet roll holder incidents. But do you know the most dangerous object in the house is none of those? Spiritually, the most dangerous object in the house is an object that every one of you have, and every one of you spend a lot of time in this object. I like my assistants, wherever they've gone, there they've gone. Tim and uh, Paul, forgot your name then, that's what happens at my age. And they're going to bring this object out, and as you look at this object, this is a metaphor, it's a symbol that could represent many of our spiritual lives. And uh, as you look at this object, I want you to understand the fear that you should have, because if you settle into this object too much, your spiritual life will be challenged. So Tim is going to help me here, and I'm going to set Tim up, okay, with what he needs to really enjoy the easy chair. We all have an easy chair. So there's a Direction magazine if you get really bored. And um, there's a can of Sun Kissed just to say. And now, there should be a big bag of Doritos. Oh, you're opening it this time, okay. There should be a big bag of Doritos, but we are in austerity measures, so it's a small bag of mini cheddars. And uh, we've got your Xbox console there, um, handset, and we've got your remote control. And there is a picture of easy life, comfort. Now, can I say, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. Rest is really important. We've had a week in Greece where we rested like you wouldn't believe. It was just fantastic to do nothing but veg out and rest. That's really, really important. But spiritually, that easy chair is a picture of the most dangerous object in our lives. Because it's not what happens when we're in the chair that makes it dangerous. It's what doesn't happen because we stay too long in the chair that makes it dangerous. You see, the older we get, the more we can look for comfort and for safety and for security and for ease. It means that spiritually, the prayers that we could pray never get prayed. The battles that we could fight never get fought. The people we could serve never get served. The adventures we could go on, we never get to go on. Because we spend our life in comfort, in ease, in the easy chair. Life's too short for that, guys. It really is. It's too short for that, isn't it? It's too short that at the end you say, well, what did you do with your life? Well, I sat in the chair. Do you know what I mean? And I watched Coronation Street a lot and, and I played on the Xbox and shot people and I, I ate Doritos and whatever. Is that it? There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But if we spend too long in the chair, and that's a symbol and a metaphor... Then actually, we just play safe. And life is too short to play it safe. And you might say, oh, well, you see, David never did that. David never sat too long in the chair. He just, he said, life's too short. I want to serve God. I want to get involved in what God's doing. And you might say, oh, well, that's great. I'll get out the chair. See, there's a New Testament story similar, isn't there? I'll get out the boat. I'll get out of the chair when the circumstances are right. When everything is just right in my life, then I'll get out the chair and I'll serve God. There's a brilliant verse in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. It says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. From another translation it says, He who observes the wind and waits for all conditions to be favourable will not sow. In other words, it's like the farmer who gets out in the morning and goes like "Ah." Mm, a little too windy, mm, a little bit too wet. And he's never going to sow. If you're waiting for the conditions to be absolutely perfect, you'll never do anything. And David could have done that. He could have said, I'm not going to get out of the chair because look at my family circumstances. Look at the obstacles, this great big guy called Goliath. Look at, look at all the difficulty. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He got out of the chair. He said, life is too short to play it safe. You know on Thursday night, on Thursday we got back from Greece Thursday afternoon and I'd prepared my talk before I went for today because today was going to be a baptism. Unfortunately it's not now because many of the people who were getting baptised the date wouldn't work blah 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 so we'll do that later in the year. So I had to come in on Thursday night and do another talk, basically, which was fine. Um, and as I was preparing it, uh, the worship team were rehearsing. And at the end of their rehearsal, they gathered together here on the stage and they prayed a prayer. And as they were praying for today, they also began to pray beyond that. And one of them began to pray that God would do something in this church that would be messy and chaotic and, and different because of what he was doing. And that God would do something, not just in the boxes that we've got, but in the gaps in between them. That's quite a dangerous prayer. As we packed up to go, we went downstairs. A homeless guy who was 19 and a homeless girl, his girlfriend who was 20, were stood at the bottom of the stairs with their two dogs, one of which was a Rockweiler. And they were there and they're saying, we've got nowhere to live. We've been living on the golf course and someone's burnt our plastic sheet and this was 10 o'clock at night. And there were prayer, make it chaotic, make it messy, do something in the gaps. And there were two people right on our doorstep knocking on the door saying, we've got nowhere to live, we were living in a plastic sheet, Mom's thrown us out, what do we do? So we were able to help them and to give them food and to find some of them to stay. And we're still involved with them, trying to help them. But we have to pray prayers that are dangerous prayers, don't we? And then we have to be willing to get out of our seats and out of our comfy chairs and say, do you know what, God? Life is too short to play it safe. Amen? I don't want to be known as a person who played it safe. And I'll tell you this, the older you get, the more you've got to fight against this because the easier it is to get safe and comfortable in your chair. Thank you, Tim. You can take the mini cheddars. See, don't say you don't ever get anything here. (laughs) Statement number two, life is too short for it to all be about you. Life is too short for it to all be about you. Over the last few weeks, we've talked quite a little bit bit about worship. And David was an incredible worshipper and worship leader. And I think he realised through that that worship is not about us primarily. So often our worship becomes inward and it all becomes about us. And I want you to take a little look at this. It's a little cynical, but it hopefully in a humorous way, just does highlight how easy it is for us as believers, if you are a believer, to turn worship away from a focus onto God to actually a focus onto ourselves. Take a look at this. Okay. I, think, I, think, I think you get the message of that, don't you, really? How easy it is. And we laugh at that and we think, oh, you know, I feel a bit uncomfortable. But actually, we can do that, can't we? We can do that when our worship is actually all about us. And you're know, right towards the end of David's life. If you've got a Bible, 2 Samuel 22. There's just an incredible passage of scripture here. And if you do have life groups this week those of you that have got them this week, then just I'm encouraging you in the notes to take a little look at this because it's an amazing chapter, 2 Samuel 22. He writes this song of praise towards the end of his life, looking back over his life. But the background to it is in the few verses before, in 2 Samuel 21 verse 15, it says, Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And and towards the end of his life there, you you read the reality of his life, that he got exhausted, and he was exhausted for lots of reasons. Firstly, his family were in a mess. His son had been murdered whilst trying to murder him, his own father. They were in a three-year famine in the land, and he was the leader of 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 the country and trying to navigate that. And then here they are again, at war with the Philistines yet again, and he gets exhausted but what he does when he writes this song of praise, it isn't a song of praise says, oh, it's so difficult and life is tough. And he does do that in the Psalms. But he writes an incredible song of praise which, if you like, could summarise his view of his God, of how great God is and of how great God has been in his life. And I want to give you four headings out of this chapter and then you can read it in your, own, in your own time, really. Number one, David says this, When our times are tough, God is our only security. How many of you know that to be true? When our times are tough, God is our only security. David says in verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. When times are tough, he realized that God was his only security. Number two, when our walk is sorry, when our days are dark, the Lord is our only light. He goes on to say in verse 29, You Lord are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. When your days are dark, the Lord is your only light. Number three, when our walk is weak, the Lord is our only strength. Verse 33, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. And David realized through worship of God that when he was weak, God was strong. Isn't that true? And when our worship turns in on ourselves too much, then our focus is on our weakness rather than on God's strength. We identify with our weakness, we're real with that, but our focus is on the strength of God. And finally, when our future is foggy, the Lord is our only hope. Verse 50, Therefore I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. When our future is foggy, the Lord is our only hope. And it's just amazing if you read that, that whole chapter to realise just how much God was a part of David's life. Because actually when David hit any obstacle or circumstance, invariably he would turn it to God. He would turn back to God because at worship our life is not all about us, it's about God. Amen. And that's the the power of David's life. And the final thing I want to say this morning is this, that life is too short to live with unplowed ground. You know, this whole series comes out of a verse that God gave us at the start of the year from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. And there's a phrase in that verse where it says, we're to break up our unplowed ground. And the idea there is that the farmer has a field that if he leaves it fallow for too long, it gets hard and it gets unworkable. And when seed comes, it can't take root. And that's like a picture of our hearts and our lives. If we allow our heart to get hard or to get bitter or to get twisted or or, or angry, then then God wants to put his seed in there and it can't take root. And uh, life is too short to live with unplowed ground. I want to say to you, life is too short for you to live with unforgiveness. If there are people who've hurt you, life is too short for you to carry that right the way through to there. It's only a short dash. It's too short to live with unforgiveness. Life is too short to live with bitterness, anger, resentment, hurt, pain. It's too short to do that. And on Thursday, as I was preparing the message for for this morning, and then yesterday reflecting on it a little bit more, there's an amazing verse that I love in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So now we're going years before this. This is before David. This is Saul's day now. And and when King Saul, when when Saul was chosen to be king, he was a man after God's own heart as well, at the beginning. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 10, where Samuel the prophet gathers all the people together, and they're going to find Saul, and they want to bring Saul out, and they're going to anoint Saul as the king over Israel. And and the Bible says that that Saul was nowhere to be found. And they said, where is he? We want to anoint him to be king. And the Bible has this really, really interesting little phrase in 1 Samuel 10. It says this, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And as I read that again, I just thought there's so many people in life who hide themselves among their baggage. And it could be even today that there are people here in this room and you are hiding yourself among the baggage. Life is too short to hide among the baggage. It's too short to live with unplowed ground. And it could be that the baggage that you're hiding in is your past. You see, David could have done that David could have said, oh, it's all right, you know, you want me to be king, God. You want me to serve your purposes. But actually, look at my dysfunctional family background. Look at my background. My dad doesn't even recognize me. My brothers criticize me. So look at that. I don't get the support I should get from my family. And he could hide it in that baggage. Or he could say, but look at the obstacles I've got. Goliath's big and Saul is the king and he hates me and all of this. Or he could look at the hurt and the pain and the loss Or he could look at his own failure and his own sin, like Dan helped us to look at last week. Because all right, God, you know, you want me to serve you right to the day that I die. But actually, look at the baggage of my failure and my sin. Life is too short to hide in the baggage. Amen. Life is too short to live with unplowed ground. And I want to say to you this morning, and please stick with me here, I'm nearly finished. There is something amazing about what God does if we give him our life. If you give God your one and only life, God will take whatever has happened to you and he will weave it and mould it and shape it and make something beautiful out of it. Whatever has happened. You see there's a verse in, in, in Romans 8 and we don't like to quote it and I never quote it to people who are going through tough times where it says God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Anyone remember, know the verse? Terrible, difficult verse to quote to people when they're going through a tough times. You should never quote it. It's not meant to be like that. It's actually a verse that you look at in the future looking back. And the verse says God works together those things for the good of those who love Him. doesn't mean that those things are good, but He can take those things that have happened to us and He can work them and weave them and mould them and shape them into something beautiful and something powerful in our lives. And if you want proof of that, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And um, can I say, what I'm about to tell you now is one of the reasons that I believe that the Bible is true. See, people say to me, oh, the Bible's not true. In fact, I had a really interesting conversation with a pagan recently and by pagan I meant that was we were at a chaplaincy meeting because I'm a chaplain now for the police um for Hal's own police and so there was a, a rabbi there and, and a, a Muslims and Sikhs and Hindus and a Buddhist and a pagan and uh, we were having a chat me and this pagan and, and it was just really interesting because I was I don't really know much about paganism can you tell me about it and so she talked about paganism and heathenism and wicca and all these kind of things and and I said and what do you think of Jesus and the bible and she says oh I think it's just a myth she continued to talk to me about Odin and Valhalla and all of these kind of things? I said, okay, that's interesting that you think it's a myth. But I didn't say anything to her and she was a lovely woman and we had a good interaction. But I came away thinking, you know, one of the reasons that I know that this is not a myth, that this is true, is because of what I want to tell you right now. You see, if men and women were writing a holy book, they would put in it all the good stuff and all the spiritual stuff And all the holy stuff. They wouldn't put in good, bad and the ugly. But God does that. God puts in this book the good, the bad and the ugly. Because actually this book is true. And that's what our lives are like. And so I want to read you. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, So this is our holy book. This is where the daddy, if you like, comes from. Okay, The main man comes out of this genealogy. You'd only write good stuff in a list like that. But this is what's written. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. That's all good. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. See, none of the other mothers get mentioned, but Tamar. Now, if you read the story, it is not a beautiful story. It's ugly, it's difficult. It's that kind of family story that you, know, you, you, you want to push away, really. You don't want to tell other people about that part of your family. But God includes that part. That's interesting. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amnibadab. That's a difficult one. Amnibadab. <laughs> the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Whose mother was Rahab? Rahab was a what? A prostitute doesn't mention everybody else's mother but it mentions the one who's a prostitute it's why I know this is true guys because who on earth when you're trying to say this is a holy book of a faith would put in that kind of ugly stuff because God is desperate to reclaim and transform lives and when you give your one and only life into the hands of God whatever has happened to you whatever baggage you're carrying God can transform it into something beautiful and then it goes on. His mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Wow. Whose mother had been who? Bathsheba. The person that David slept with. That he had an affair with. That he committed adultery and murder and conspiracy and deceit over his darkest moment in his whole life. The bit he didn't want to be put in his dash. God says, I'm going to put that bit in the genealogy of Jesus just to show that when you give your life to me, I can take whatever baggage is in your life and I can transform it into something that's beautiful. Isn't that amazing? What a great God. And so I don't know whether you come from a broken family I don't know whether you've got broken relationships. You may have been divorced. You may have been the victim of adultery. You may have been the other side of that whole equation. You may have been in prison. You may have been sacked from a job. You may have had all kinds of things have happened to you. But God can take all of that and can transform it into something beautiful if you give Him your one and only life. If you make a decision today to say, Do you know what? I'm going to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. I'm going to do all He wants me to do. And I am going to serve God's purposes and I'm going to surrender to Him. God can take anything in your life, in your past, in your present, and He can transform it into something beautiful. And I just am so in awe of God. You know, your mistakes are not fatal if your heart is for God. Your darkest, ugliest moments can be transformed into beauty if your heart is for God and your legacy can go beyond your life if your heart is for God. David made a choice again and again and again that he was going to be a man after God's own heart. What about you? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you are an amazing God. And thank you, Lord, that the God of David is our God And Lord, we don't follow David, we follow Jesus. We follow you. And God, I pray that we would be men and women who would have hearts after you. We'd be men and women who would do all you want us to do. We wouldn't stay in the safety of our easy chair. We wouldn't turn our whole life to be about us. And we wouldn't live any longer with unplowed ground. Because life's too short for that. So Lord, today we want to say, we want to choose again to be men and women after your own heart. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. It's quite an old song, actually. So old, it's going to be new for some of you. And I want to just make a comment about something. Now, you might have noticed if you're new to the church, or even if you're not, you might still have noticed that sometimes people put their hands in the air when they're worshipping. And you might think, what's that about? Well, there's lots of reasons we do that. One of the reasons is that it says it in the Bible. Okay, that's a good, good reason to do that. Another reason is that we're kind of acknowledging that God is great. You, know, you do it at football matches. You do it at concerts. You're to, it's just an, a natural expression to say, oh, God, you're like other than us. Do you know what I mean? The otherness of God, the greatness of God. I think we also do it because we're trying to reach out to God. Not that God lives up there, but it's just a symbolic way of trying to say that we want to reach out to God. There's also another reason why we lift our hands. And when I was growing up, I used to love uh, the old Western films that used to come on Saturday afternoons. And um, in an old Western, there's always a scenario where someone puts a gun in the back of somebody. And what do they reflexively do? They go like that. Because it's a sign of what? Surrender. And see, that's another reason why we lift our hands. Not just to say, God, you're amazing. Not just to reach out to God. Not just to declare the greatness of God. But also because we say, we want to surrender. And you know, what can happen over time is that our posture can go from that to that to that. And nothing wrong with having your arms folded or in, or, in, or in your pockets. But it can be, if we're not careful, an outward sign of an inward reality. That we've gone from, God, I'm yours, take me, use me. Do whatever you want to do with me. I'm going to get out of the chair. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going to live with unplowed ground. It's not going to be about me. We can go from that to whatever, to move me if you dare. And I want to encourage you today to take your hands out of your pockets, unfold your arms, and to lift your arms, not just to declare how great God is, but more than that, to say that you are willing to surrender to God, that you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart so can we stand Father as we sing this last song God I want to pray that it won't just be a song that we sing but I pray Lord that it will be an anthem it will be a prayer it will be a response Lord it will be a decision it will be a choice it will be an intention and a declaration there is no one in history like you And there is no one that we want to follow. We do not want our lives to be driven by anything else other than the purposes of God. We want to know you. We want to serve your purposes. And Lord, we surrender to that today. Take us, I pray, not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff. Not just the beautiful stuff, but the ugly stuff. Not just the victories, but the defeats. We give it all to you, Lord Jesus. We step out of our baggage. We get out of our comfy chair and we serve you. And we have a heart after you because you're worthy. You are worthy.